broken since July, man. It feels like a year ago. We had camp meeting here, and then uh, that was about it. But I want to thank all of you who have been praying for us and uh, a little bit we've been going through over the last several months. Uh, I've felt the strength of your prayers. I really have. Uh, it can be lonely in there when they're dealing with your infirmities. They, they take me in there. They make me lay out on this steel table, and then they nuke you. <laughs> but it's amazing what goes through your mind. Uh, it doesn't really sit with you until you're actually there. You know, everything's been on paper or talking to a doctor, but when you're actually, actually going through it, uh, you, you really uh, think about your own mortality. And also you reassess what really matters in life. You know, you try to keep that in, in the forefront of your life anyway, but uh, when life and death meet. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight, amen? I, uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans uh, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll see what the Lord does tonight. Get on, a, on the devil with a short stick and knock him out, amen? Amen. <laughs> I really have been thinking about what I was going to minister. I thought about something else for the last couple of months, and then it just didn't seem right. So uh, just about an hour before we came here, the Lord told me to turn here, and I began to read that, and it, it bore witness with my heart. So I believe that's what we need to hear tonight. Amen. Romans chapter 8, if you're there, say amen. amen. Beginning with the 16th verse. Well, let's start with the 15th verse. We'll just read a little bit tonight. Uh, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is the spirit itself that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. <laughs> I mean, think of that statement. I know that we go through our everyday lives and, and, and we deal with practical things on a daily basis. But something transformative takes place in the believer's life when he comes to the Lord and he begins his journey with God. Something happens to us. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans and he says that there is something powerful that is happening. He says... First of all, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have a spirit of bondage on the inside of you. And what does he mean by that? What he's really talking about there is that when we were born into this world, we were altogether born in iniquity. In other words, the very blood that flows through our veins is contaminated with the spirit of sin. And so we die. Every single one of us dies. But the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches us that instantly something happened, something transformative took place on the inside of us. A new spirit was born. You became a new creature, and you received eternal life from God the Father himself. You see, it was necessary that Jesus Christ first come and die on the cross in order to pay the debt of the sin of all of mankind. But it was also necessary that he not only die, but that he rise from the dead. 
If you remember what he said in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he said, it is better for you if I go away. He says, because if I don't go away, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I will pray to the Father himself. And I will ask him for the Holy Spirit, and he will send him to you. Well, yeah, you know, I know, I know. We don't really understand what the Spirit of God is or who the Spirit of God is. I know that's, you know, I don't mean to condemn everybody in that, in that statement, but <laughs> I don't really understand who he is. I know a little bit about more of him now than I did before. But when I first came into the Pentecostal charismatic realm, the Spirit of God was relegated to speaking in tongues. Now, we know as we go on in the rest of the chapter that Paul talks about us groaning in the Spirit. He talks about an intercession that literally links us with the Creator. He says that the Spirit of God prays through us because we reach the capacity of our own mental faculties and we do not know what we should pray. And then he says that the Spirit of God intervenes in that moment and moves through us. And connects with the Heavenly Father himself and prays exactly the way the Father wants us to pray according to the will of God. Now the will of God is much higher than our own personal circumstances. I think we've gone a lot way off in the church today when we have relegated much of Christianity to you know, a bigger house, a nicer car, a better vacation. But it's not about that. What it's about is the eternal and what it's really about is where we are headed as a people, as a body of believers. So Paul says here, am I boring you? Yeah. All right. Paul says here, you have not received, look at this, verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Remember what he said in Hebrews? That for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And deliver those who through all their lifetime were subject to bondage through the fear of death. When you're young, you don't think about death very much. The whole world's in front of you. But as you age, the inevitability of your mortality begins to come up before your face. And who you are, what you are. The essence of who we are as a people, as a person, as a singular personality in creation itself begins to come to the forefront of your mind. If I die, do I simply cease to exist? Or do I, as the Bible claims, transfer from this body into the very presence of God? This is the issue. And while we are here, we are here for a purpose and a plan, and it must be according to the will of God. Now, remember what Jesus says, don't worry what you're going to put on or what you're going to eat or how much money you got or whatever, go down the list. He said, the Gentiles seek after these things. He said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all the other practical things of life will be added to you without you striving for them. Now, I know this is contrary to the modern day American gospel which teaches you that you amass a number of scriptures, you identify what you want, you make a claim over it, and then you confess it into being, and God will have to move on your behalf and bring it to pass. 
That's what they teach. Well, I would submit to them and say, okay, is it the will of God? Look at this scripture over here. Let's turn over here in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse, uh, verse 27. Well, verse 26. Look at verse 8, 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, it also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses because we do not know what we should pray for as we should or as we ought. But it is the Spirit itself that makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, he's saying there is no earthly language or mental assent that you can come to where you are able to utter or pray correctly divine things, supernatural things. In, in fact, he is trying to communicate not only to the people of his day, but all those who would live thereafter, including ourselves, that the Spirit of God has been given to us to connect us to every age that has ever been and every age that will be. And that each succeeding generation has a plan, a purpose, a significant role to play in the plan of God. And he says, how in the world can you know what to pray about? In the great grand scheme of God the creator, how is it possible that you would possibly know what to pray about? You can't. You're a finite creature. You are limited. If you're fortunate, you'll live to be 75, 80, 90, but you're going to die eventually. I hate to break the news to you, <laughs> but so we live a limited amount of time, but we were interjected into time and history specifically for the purpose of God. He brought you into being. He gave you consciousness. What does that mean, Brother Marty? I mean, when you look in the mirror, you know it's you, I hope. <laughs> well, we better call the doctor. But you became aware of yourself, that you are who you are. You weren't born a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. You were born now. And you came into the flow of an ongoing eternal plan and purpose. And the devil works overtime, if you will. Darkness works overtime to keep the reality of this away from your mind and your spirit. But see, when Jesus died, rose from the dead, went to the Father, he prayed that God would send the Holy Spirit to us. And that as we accept Christ as our Savior, as we read earlier, we receive not a spirit of bondage. But we become a new creation and we have received a spirit of life. It is ignited on the inside of you. Just like in Genesis. Remember what it says in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, or light was. So in other words, it is, a, it is a larger type of a smaller truth or a smaller reality as an individual. You are a miniature creation, if you will. You are a miniature universe, if you will. How did you begin? In your mother's womb. Isn't it interesting? 
that we float around in water for nine months. God says the creation began that way, that the whole creation was encased in the womb of God's purpose, in the watery womb of God's purpose. It literally shut out the light. We don't have time to get into it, but there was a whole lot going on before we showed up on the scene. But he broke into that. And it's as if when you became born again, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and the darkness of your mind, of your spirit. And in that moment that you accepted him by the glorious miracle of hearing the gospel, God said, let there be light. Bam, and light was. He entered into you and me. And you received something so supernatural that to relegate it to simply, uh, you know, paying my rent is so small-minded. He is calling us to a, a, an eternal glory. Paul goes on to say there, he says, we have not received the spirit of bondage. And he says, and he goes in verse 18, look what he says in verse 18. He says, for I reckon that the present sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Every generation has suffered. Every generation has felt the sting of death. On my way to the doctor's, uh, we would drive back to, the, to, to our hotel on the 405 in L.A., and there's this place I, I showed Sister Debbie, and it's just covered with white headstones. It looks like Arlington National Cemetery. It's off the 405 freeway. And I thought about all those people in there. From generation to generation, there they are. But is this the end of the story? Or is there more? Do you really believe it? The great apostle says, what we're going through now, it's not worthy to be compared to what's going to be revealed in us. So what is he trying to say? There is something on the inside of you and me that maybe we have never really truly tapped into it as he has made it available to you and me. A coming together of your new recreated spirit with the spirit of Almighty God. Think of this. We know that Daniel saw the Ancient of Days sitting upon a throne. Amen? We know that God manifested himself in Jesus Christ, that Jesus took on the form of a man and he will forever be seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Amen? He has a body. He told his disciples that. Handle me. For you see, I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as I do. He said, go ahead and touch me, Thomas, if you want to. I'm real. The son has a body. The father has a body. But wherein did the spirit have a body to dwell in? The creation of the church is meant to be as a habitation for the very spirit of God. That the spirit of God would have a body himself. But that that body could not be contained in one vessel, but would be contained in multiplied multitudinous of millions of vessels who throughout the ages would accept the glorious plan of salvation. Hallelujah. 
And he dwells in us. That's why when we get together and, and you know, as, as glorious a time as we can have in our own prayer closet, our own study, when we connect with other believers and we begin to worship him and the spirit of God begins to hover in our midst, what's actually happening is he's coming out of you. He's flowing from your heart as you give praise to God. And the Bible says that the Father himself, in the essence of his presence, comes and inhabits in those praises. And the, and the atmosphere changes. It becomes electric. It's where miracles take place. Hallelujah. So powerful was the spirit that flowed out of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that at times when he was preaching in the synagogue, that people that were bound by the demonic powers would begin to scream. He wasn't preaching a sermon on casting out the devil. Huh? But so powerful was the anointing of the Holy Ghost that flowed through him that the very presence of God arrested everyone in that building. And wherever light is, darkness cannot abide. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The very presence of Jesus caused those that were bound by the devil to cry out. To be delivered by his power. A confrontation between light and darkness is upon us now. The church around the world is suffering. I received pictures from some people that are missionaries. They sent me pictures of that terrorist group named ISIS who went through Baghdad. One of the pictures I received, and I'll try and be as... As easy as I can in describing this was a father holding his headless child, a Christian. The little girl couldn't have been more than five years old. She still had on her pretty little black shoes and her little dress. They were on their way to church. And when that group came through town, they, they, they accosted the Christians. They chopped their heads off. They took over their church. They painted it black and they flew the flag of ISIS over it. You want to tell me those people don't think they're in the tribulation? Come on. Come on. What about Africa? The persecution that's taking place all over, whether it's Boko Haram or, or, or whether it's the terrorists in, in, uh, in Somalia or whether it's the terrorists who went over there and killed all those people in that mall in Kenya or whether it's in Nigeria or just go throughout the Middle East, go through China, Russia. Israel's being surrounded by her enemies. In, in February, we were here, and we taught a prophetic teaching on the four blood moons. I, I challenge you to get that tape and listen to what we taught that night. Because I warned you and said what the rabbis are telling us is that war is coming to the Gentiles, and danger is coming to the Jews. And in effect, that's what we have seen happen throughout this year. It's increasing. But you see, Paul says something so profound. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For he says something so powerful. He says that the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's a lot of fancy words, I know. <laughs> But what he's literally saying is that the creation itself, the universe in all its beauty and glory, the earth itself, the animal kingdom, that it is waiting 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's you and me. Oh, if I had the words to say this better. (laughs) That we are literally linked with creation as a people, as a church. It doesn't say that that, that he's waiting for the manifestation of human beings. He's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, it says that the creature, if you read the next verse, right? It says, for the creature was made subject to vanity. Right? But what? Not willingly. Okay, that's really profound. It really is. Because he starts off by talking about the Spirit of God, correct? He starts off about telling us that we haven't received the spirit of bondage again. Then he crosses over and says that the Spirit is bearing witness with our own spirit. That he's talking to us. The Holy Spirit is revealing to you and me on the inside that I belong to God. Jesus, help us to see this. That I belong to God. You belong to God. My children belong to God. Paul would say in another place in Scripture, he said, if we're Christians in this life, we are the most miserable of creatures. Why? Because we're believing a lie. And he, and he goes into the resurrection and says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then your faith, your hope, everything is in vain. Why are you being religious? Might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. So what, what, what's the difference? Party, man. That's what he said. He says, but but, but we are going to be resurrected. And then he says, and behold, I'll show you a mystery. He says, I'll take it even further than that. He says, there is a generation that is promised that it will not see death. That it will, it will, it will hear the sound of a shout. You know your scriptures, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4. That a shout is coming. And what is, what is promised is the dead in Christ will rise first. Then it says, we which are alive, my God, and remain, or actually it means, you can look it up later in your strong concordance, and have survived shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with him. Then he says, wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. What words? That he's coming back. (laughs) Now he's trying to enlarge our understanding here when he takes our mind to the very creation itself. He says that the creature was made subject to vanity, or in other words, that the eternal creation or the universe itself did not originally begin in a chaotic state of corrosion and death. The creation was here before you and me. The animal kingdom was here before you and me. It was. Adam and Eve were the last thing made. 
right? If you know your days of creation. He says that the creation itself, it was made subject to vanity. It wasn't originally made this way. When you look at the universe, our generation is the first generation that has ever had the capacity or the, or the, or the ability to see what we see out there. But we see, we see, well, for instance, there's an asteroid belt between us and Mars, if you know anything about space. And what is that asteroid? It's just a bunch of huge rocks that are floating around in a circle around the Earth. It's a belt between us and the planet Mars. Well, it speaks of some kind of destruction that took place. And the further you go into the universe, you see chaos. You see stars exploding, comets floating everywhere, asteroids, all kinds of chaos. Out of order. Completely out of order. Something happened. But see, Paul is taking our minds to a higher form of understanding here. When he says that the creature was made subject, was made subject to vanity, but not willingly. It's as if he is saying that creation itself has its own will. And that some kind of discourse took place between the Father God, the Creator, and all that was made before mankind ever showed up on the scene. That's what it says. I'm not making this up. I just read it to you. I know this isn't Bible 101, but... Something, there was always a plan. Let's put it that way. When we find mankind coming into the scene, it is for a specific purpose. Remember what God said about man? Let us make man. In our image, in our image, after our likeness. Well, if you get into those original words, the making of man is literally an ongoing process. That the body that was made was literally ultimately made for Jesus himself. It is not yet revealed what we are going to be. We're still being made. But when you look at Jesus Christ, you look at mankind completed. The Bible says so, that he is the first fruits of them that have risen from the dead. He is the first fruit. He is the beginning, the Bible says, of what? The creation of God. Jesus. And he is our elder brother. For the book of Hebrews tells us that it behooved him to be made like unto one of his brethren, that in all points he might be tested, tried, and tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And now he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. He knows what you're going through. 
He has experienced what you have experienced. He has felt the fatigue. He has been through the heartache. He has, he has tasted uh, 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 of the pain and the heartache of, of the human condition. And he's overcome it all. He cannot, he says, we do not have a great high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points he was tempted like you and me, yet without sin. When you cry out to God in his name, he stands on your behalf and says, I died for that person. I know what he's going through. Have mercy and grace on him. When God would, would seek to judge, he sees Jesus at his right hand and he won't judge. Well, that makes me happy. Because I should be judged a million times over, I mean, and twice on Sunday. (laughs) Serious. My God. So he opens our, our understanding. He says that the creation itself, he wants you to understand, me to understand, that, that we are linked together in a grand, it's not even an experiment, it's a purpose of God. It's an expression of God. We don't have time to get into all this stuff tonight, but, but just touch the highlights of what we're talking about. Right. He brought the creation into existence. I don't mean to step on your toes. If you believe everything happened in 6,000 years, God bless you. That's okay. It's not a point of salvation. But I, I'm of the suit that this has been around for billions of years. The creation itself. And we ain't got time to get into all that, but it's been around a long time. We are told in the scripture that there was an angelic revolt. That Lucifer himself revolted against God, was such a powerful speaker that he literally deceived one third of the angelic being. That he led a revolution and tried to get to heaven. Jesus Christ himself said, I saw Satan. And I saw him fall like lightning. He never got close. Isaiah reveals to us that he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, above the stars of heaven, into the sides of the congregation of the north. But God says, but thou shalt be no more. Thou shalt be brought down to the pit. When did all this happen? Surely not in the last 6,000 years. Something incredible transpired before us. And the Bible says that God, through the psalmist, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast created him, what? A little lower than the angels. When God created the angels, he made them all at once. When he made man, he started with one. And he made him in time and space. He deposited every single human being that would ever live, you and me, down through the ages. He put us all into one vessel. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. We've talked about this before. And then he breathed into Adam. It literally means that God exhaled from himself parts of his eternal self into one vessel. 
Every single human being that would ever be born was deposited in Adam. This is why the serpent shows up in the tree. This is why he is so curious about this, this creature that, that's created in a multidimensional way, spirit, soul, body. But there's only two of them. And he, he wanted to be like the most high God. And he goes after the very image of God. And he takes him through disobedience. We're told that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, right? We're told that sin did not originate with Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. But it says that, well, let's take a look at it. So you know I'm not lying to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Are you there? Amen. Let's read verse 10 for 510. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's a teaching that's going around that everything's all about just the cross. That's not what Paul says here. I've had some big boys beat me up over this one. But I stand on the word. What does he say? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, what? We shall be saved. How? By his life, his resurrection. You cannot separate the two. You cannot diminish one in favor of the other. They are all part of the plan. Now, he goes on to say, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. And then he says this, wherefore, as by one man, what? Sin began, entered. So sin was a pre-existing condition. For as by one man sin did what? Entered into the world through the one vessel. And then what? And death by sin. So what happened? Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When Adam ate that whatever it was, fruit, he ingested it into his physical body. That's what the scripture says. Nothing happened until Adam ate. Right? Eve ate. Nothing happened. But then she turns and gives to her husband. Right? He eats, and then their eyes are opened. And the glory that covered them disappeared. And they were naked. They originally were covered in light which is what is on the inside of you and me, by the Spirit. That's what we started out reading tonight. You have not received the spirit of bondage again under fear, but the Spirit of God, the Spirit of light is on the inside of you. And it does not appear yet, but the glory, what? That shall be revealed, where? In us. 
Jesus gave us a glimpse of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. That whole time he'd been walking around as a man, but he, allowed, he was allowed by the Father to expose to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, what was actually on the inside of him. So powerful was the Spirit that it came out of him, it lit up the mountaintop where they were at, and it literally changed his clothes into a gleaming white. The glory that was on the inside of him. It's what will happen to you and me. It is what is in there right now. See, when you sense the presence of God, something happens even to this mortal countenance of yours, of mine. When you move in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it transforms you. Your mind is quicker. You're not even aware of your infirmities. You feel like, David, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. My God. So when he ate that fruit, literally death passed upon all mankind. Why? He ingested the fruit. Was the fruit the thing? No. It was the act of disobedience. Contrarized to what God had asked him to do and asked him not to do. But the Lord knew he would. Right? You must ask yourself that question. Did he know? If he didn't know, then he's not God. Because he's supposed to know all things. So something greater must be taking place. Something far more incredibly intense and intricate is being played out. The Apostle Peter in First Peter or in Second Peter chapter three, he talks about the eighth day, not the seventh day, but the eighth day. He says, I'm looking forward to the time when God melts the elements with fervent heat. There's coming a seventh day of rest. We know that from the creation story. On the seventh day, God rested. It's a type of the 7,000 years of human history. We know from the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, he's going to rule and reign for a 1,000 years with a rod of iron. But after that 1,000 years, we're told in the book of Revelation that Satan will be loosed from the prison where he's been cast for a 1,000 years, and he will be allowed to come onto the earth and deceive the nations that have been born in that 1,000-year period. What are you talking about? why would he allow the devil to come deceive people again well think of this when Jesus comes back he will impose a rule upon the earth he will rule with a rod of iron he will put down all rebellion but there will be two classes of being now in existence there will be a mortal kind of mankind Isaiah says That if somebody dies when they're 100 years old during that time, they'll be considered just but a child. But they'll be mortal nonetheless. But they will have not had the opportunity that you and I have had to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by faith. They will have to experience his rule by implementation of his power. They have no choice. But at the end of the age, choice will be given again. But the church itself, you and me, we will be a different class of being. We will be like Jesus. Yes, we will have the essence of humanity, but we will be the sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
and we will rule and reign with him. The Bible even teaches us that we will judge angels. What's coming? It's so grand. It's so glorious. Now, before all that transpired, we're told there in Romans 8 that the creation had a meeting with the creator. And he said to them, in essence, I'm about to eradicate death. I'm about to do away with sin. But there's only one way to do it. That's to create a temporary universe. We experience the essence of our existence in a series of rooms. Right now we're in this room. We open out the door and go outside, we're in a larger room. We head into our little cars, we're in a tinier room. We drive to our house, open the door, we're in another room. Compartments, compartments, compartments. Each with a, with a definitive style and, and, and experience all its own. But it speaks to us of a larger truth. The universe itself is a compartment. Did not Solomon teach us that? I believe it's 1 Kings, yeah, chapter 8 or 2 Kings chapter 8, I forget which one it is. When he, when he dedicated the temple and he prayed and he says, God, I've made you this temple. But he says, what is, but how can I make you a house to dwell in? And then he says, for even the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. The heaven of heavens is eternity, right? Heaven is eternity. We know that the Bible teaches us that God took his throne and set it in eternity. Which means that his throne was outside the reality of the eternal realm. <laughs> okay. So if, well, think of this. If there was anything that could contain God, that would be God. God is not confined to any dimension. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in, in the book of Acts when he's preaching on Mars Hill, he says, he says, even your own poets, he's talking to the Greek guys, he says, even your own poets have talked about it. He says, in him, we live. In him, we move. And in him, we have our being. Ah, man, that's so far beyond our ability to think. But he is everywhere. He's too big for everything. This is why, remember when he showed up on, on Mount Sinai? Think of this. He's coming from dimension into dimension. We know just from the space shuttle or, or astronauts who go to the moon and come back that when they come into the atmosphere of the earth, what happens? The capsule catches on fire, right? It's the protective shield around the earth, but it, it catches on fire and it comes into the atmosphere. Well, it's interesting that what creates friction is speed. Friction. Just rub your hand on your hand, and eventually it'll get hot. The faster you go, the hotter it'll get. What's well, a principle in the material world, in the dimensional world? When God came into Mount Sinai, the Bible says that, that they saw clouds that were enfolding themselves, and that a great fire sat down upon the mountain, and it shook. 
God coming into the material universe. So freaky was the sight that the, that the people said, you go talk to that dude, man. I don't want nothing to do with that dude. You go talk to him, Moses. This is, a, this is crazy. And so holy was him that he told Moses, you put a ring around this mountain. Don't you let anybody get near it because they'll be worthy of death. He's holy. So he sends, they send Moses to go talk to him. But the per- point is, is that he comes from dimension to dimension to dimension. And when he came into our dimension, it rearranged the atoms and the nuclei and the, and the electrons and the protons and all the different molecular small things that exist that make up the material world. He burst into it. And, it, and Ezekiel said, I was sitting by the river Chebar, and I looked to the north, and there was a fire enfolding itself like a great hurricane-like wind. It was God. Fire inside of fire. A wheel in the middle of a wheel, he said. God Almighty. His very throne is a vehicle like we've never seen. (laughs) He's God. And he's calling you. He's calling me. Every generation. And because he was so large... Out of his great mercy, he became, he allowed the Holy Spirit to overshadow a virgin and he became a tiny growing baby in her womb. Because he loved us so much, he knew that if I showed up like I did on Mount Sinai, I'd freak everybody out again. But this time I'll show up like a little baby. The most unthreatening thing. And yet he was threatening, wasn't he? Scared Herod to death. Even though he came as a child, he could not be hid. Wise men came from as far as 1,500 miles away to see him. The kingmakers, the magi. He was two years old when they came to his house. Herod inquired and said, when did you first see the sign of him? They said, oh, about two years ago. He said, all right. So he sent his soldiers to kill all the children, two years old and under. Even then, they were after him. But he came as a child. He manifested himself as a man so that he could talk to us and relate to us and, and, and hopefully show us, as he said, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I do nothing except I see the Father do it. I say nothing except I see the Father or hear the Father tell me to say it. I don't go anywhere except where the Father tells me to go. What is God like? Look at Jesus. Full of mercy, grace, love. There was not one sinner that was ever afraid of him. Luke 15, verse 1 says, all the sinners, all the publicans came to him. They weren't threatened by him. So what's wrong with our religion? Where are we falling short that our churches aren't filled with the lost, hungering to hear what we have to say? We are not representing Jesus correctly then. 
Something's missing. There's a disconnect. Get to know him. Know him. The more of him that's in me, the more of him that's in you, the more they'll come to you to hear what he has to say through you. Paul said, I'm a living epistle. I'm I'm a living book. I'm open and read of all men. Some people will never read the gospel. The only gospel they'll ever read is your life and my life. And it's not how you react in the times where everything's going great that they pay attention to. How do you react when you fail? Is your God big enough to pick you up from your failure? Is he loving enough to forgive you of your sin? Yes, he is. Hallelujah. That's what they look for. Solomon said, though a righteous man falls seven times, yet will he arise. He'll get up again. He'll keep trying. This Christian walk is not a walk of perfection. It's not. It's fraught with peril and trial and testing. But Paul's telling us even the creature was made subject to that testing, not willingly, but that the Spirit of God has been given to you. And so we are meant to cry out to him as his children. Something happens. Something breaks through the the, the different levels of whatever it is that keeps us from understanding heavenly things. And there are moments that transpire all that. And suddenly we see that all things are possible. That there is a God. That there is a forever. That I'm being called by a voice that I cannot define. But it's reaching deep inside me. And it's pulling me upward and onward toward him. Toward a heavenly calling. Toward a heavenly city. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus my Lord hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. oh that's why he said this this present suffering it's not even worthy he said I don't care what you're going through there's a glory that's coming and it's going to start from the inside of you it's going to transform you and you will be clothed with an eternal reality that shall never die Hallelujah, brother. Amen. Glory to God. (laughs) He says, verse 22, are you there? He says, verse 21, look what he says. He subjected, verse 20, he says he subjected the creation in hope. We don't have time to get into all that. He made promises to the creation. He made promises to the animal kingdom. Read the story of Noah. He made a covenant with man, and he made a covenant with the animals. Someday I hope we can talk about those things. But he says, for we know, because the creature itself, verse 21, it also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, it's groaning, it's travailing, in pain together until now. And then he says, and not only they, but ourself also. Who? Us. Who what? Have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you to that extent? The first fruits. What is the first fruits of the Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul says that he gave us the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a down payment, an earnest of our inheritance. Do you read your Bibles? (laughs) It's a down payment. There's stuff happening. What did Jesus say? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Behold, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, he says, I would have told you. But now I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be also. And as a sign, basically, he goes on to say that I'm coming back again when I get there. That you'll know that I got, oh, man, I'm about to go crazy, brother Stan. (laughs) That you'll know that I arrived home for you on your behalf. I'm going to pray. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to pray to the Father and ask him to send you the Holy Ghost. And you'll know I, I arrived there. Because there's coming a day, and we read about it in Acts chapter 2, right? Suddenly, there came a sound from where? From heaven, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were seated, and cloven tongues as a fire sat upon all of them that were in the house, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. What are you saying, Brother Marty? We know that he made it home because 2,000 years ago, the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost and made that sound and announced to the whole world that he made it home. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So he's in us, and Paul's saying, man, there's something in you. Get familiar with it. Get familiar with him. Have a relationship with him. He's bearing witness with your spirit. There's something on the inside of you, he's saying. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. He's telling us, this isn't it. This is temporary. And there's going to be... A meeting in the air In that sweet, sweet by and by Hallelujah (laughs) Hallelujah 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 The Spirit bearing with our spirit Bearing witness to us Speaking to us Waiting for you to wake up so he can talk to you. Sometimes you wake up at three in the morning, you don't know why. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. He's calling you. He's calling you. I've shared with this before with you guys. The rabbis say that at night, in the middle of Jerusalem at night, that the wind would blow. And that King David used to hang harps in his master chamber in his palace. And that the wind would blow through the palace, and it would hit the strings on the harp and would start to make sounds of music, and it would wake up the king in the middle of the night, and that the king would take it as a sign that the Spirit of God had come to him and that God wanted to fellowship with him in the middle of the night. 
And that they would hear the king begin to pray. And they would hear him play on his harp and sing to God. And that the voice of David would echo down the corridors and streets of Jerusalem into every home. And that it would convict the children of Israel. That they would say, if my God, if my king can be up at three in the morning praising God, we've got to get up and praise God. We've got to get up and call out to God. We are the children of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's places of revelation in him. Paul said, no man taught me what I know. But it was revealed to me by the Spirit. There's more. So much more. It says, for we know that the whole creation is groaning, travailing in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. This body is going to be changed. When you were born again, you instantly became eternal. We're not waiting to go to eternity. We are in eternity now. I'll show you. Look at Romans 6, 13, and we'll close. Romans chapter 6. That's what Paul said. First, look at verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. Are you there? He says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as what? As those, what? From what? The moment you accepted Christ and he came into you, and created a new creature on the inside of you, a new being, the real you. He says that you pass from death to life. And that there is a realm that if we will allow the Spirit to develop us, that we can plug into as those that are alive from the dead now. You're not going to die. Your physical body will give out. If, you're, if, you, if Jesus don't come back in our time, it will. But Paul said to be absent from this body is to be instantly present with the Lord. Have you ever been to a funeral? Ever been to an open casket? You look down at that body and you go, they ain't there. That ain't the person I knew. The life force, the essence, the spirit is gone. This body is just a house. But God designed us to be inhabiting an eternal body. 
And Paul said, that's what we're crying out for. That's what all creation is crying out for. He says, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there shall I be in their midst. If we will line up ourselves with creation itself, which is crying out to him. All creation is crying out to him. He says, when you yield to the spirit, you are joining your voice with creation itself into heaven itself, crying for the redemption, crying for the renewing of all things. Hallelujah. We're groaning within ourselves for the adoption, waiting for the coming of that new age, that new time, where every enemy shall be put down, where every tear shall be wiped away. My wife preached it the other day uh, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are held captive, and them that are bruised. That's what the anointing is for. Gosh, man. I just feel like I've just given you an introduction. Seriously, I mean, this is the word of God. He's calling us. See, the world can't see what you see. And, you know, the the farther we get away from this, the, the less the light burns in our life. We have to fight. Because everything is going downstream, man. And we are going upstream. And we're being called to a glory, Paul said, that is so marvelous, so beautiful. Paul would later write, he says, you know, I knew a man. He said he was caught up into the third heaven. He said, I saw things. He saw things. He says, I can't even put it into words. He goes, it's not even lawful for me to try and utter it. It was so magnificent, so incredible. I believe Martin Luther King saw that the the night before he was assassinated. He told his people. He was only 30-something years old. He said, I may not get there with you. But he said, I'm not afraid of any man. He says, like any person, I'd, I'd like to live a long life. He says, longevity has its place. But he says, I'm not afraid of any man. He says, for I've been to the mountain, and I've looked over to the other side, and mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the king. Yeah. Hallelujah. He said, I may not get there with you, but we're going to be together. Well, there's a whole lot of people going home by the signs of time. It won't be very long in the twinkling of an eye, we'll soon be gone. Yes, there's a whole lot of people 
going home. Hallelujah. Are you glad you came tonight? Yes. Would you stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen.